hello everybody. This is your favorite Bronze Age Spider-Man podcast. Here comes the Spider-Cast. This is your co-host, Michael, and as always, I'm joined by... Joshua Mervell, and today we're going to be taking a look at Spider-Man comics from April of 1983. That's right, and uh, we have another special guest joining us this week. He's the host of the Windsor Public Library Graphic Novel Club. Why don't you tell us who you are, special guest? Uh, hello, my name's Adam Pelche. As Mike explained, I am a librarian at Windsor Public Library. I host a graphic novel club and a film discussion club. Uh, the Graphic Novel Club, uh, we were on a bit of a hiatus, but we're coming back. We're doing an online version of it. So if you go to our Facebook page for the Windsor Public Library, you can uh, look at it and you can join up. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Yeah, for sure. And the first book is going to be, oh, Kingdom Come by by Mark That's Wade. Right. right. And I hope, I don't know if this is going to... If this is gonna be posted before then, but um, we can still promote it maybe on our on our Twitter site or in Facebook and all that. But anyway, okay, cool. There'll be plenty of other sessions anyway. That's right. That's right. Okay, so yeah, we're gonna start off this week with Amazing Spider-Man two thirty nine. Uh, before we jump into it, Adam, I just want to know. I know that you're a, a, a fan of comic books, but are you a Spidey fan? Spider-Man was my hero growing up. Really? Nice. He, he was the hero that got me into comics. Uh, unfortunately, it was right around the time of the Clone Saga, so you know it was a it was a weird time. Sure. But uh, you know he's always had a place in my heart as being one of my favorite superheroes, and Amazing has always been one of my favorite titles. And this is a this is a great one to get into as well because this is part of the very famous Hobgoblin uh, storyline. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So it sounds like you're going to be more enthusiastic about these comics than Becca and Jolie were last week. Because Becca talked about how sick she was of Peter Parker. And then when I asked her if she was a fan of Hobgoblin, she said, well, is anyone? But anyway, that's neither <laughs> here nor there. But anyway, okay, so this is a great uh, episode to have you in on then, Adam. Okay, so this is the second ever appearance of the Hobgoblin. For those that don't know, he's the successor of the Green Goblin. And at this point, his identity was a secret, which makes the Hobgoblin saga so cool, right? Um, now, so Adam, have you read this issue before? Uh, no, this was my first time. Wow, okay, cool. Well, I'll quickly uh, summarize it and then we'll jump into the review. So, um, when last issue ended, we basically were introduced to the Hobgoblin suiting up for the very first time and he's discovered an old head secret headquarters of the Green Goblin and stolen all of his, uh, you know, his costume and his weapons and he's redesigned everything to create this new character that he is, which is the, the Hobgoblin. And so at the beginning of this issue, we see Harry Osborn, who I think this is only the second time we've seen Harry in three years worth of Spider-Man comics. Right, right Josh? yeah, it's been some right. time. We, I, think, I think Peter went to go visit him once, but they were kind of estranged and not really talking to each other, so I don't think it really ended well, and then right. that was about it. Right, so Harry Osborn's back here because... Uh, Norman Osborn, his late uh, father, his his um, buildings have been being attacked and ransacked. And so the police are investigating. So he knows that something's going on, but he's not sure what yet. So then we cut over to this mysterious figure who is the Hobgoblin. But again, we don't know who he is because his face is constantly in shadow. So he goes back to um, his new Hobgoblin headquarters and he's kind of like, um, you know, just explaining what's going on. And he's basically giving his plans to the reader and uh, talking about what he's planning to do. Uh, we jump over to uh, Spidey who's in um, the hospital visiting the black cat 
who's been injured over in an ongoing storyline in Spectacular Spider-Man, which we'll get to later this episode. And he kind of, you know, just gives you a quick fill-in on what's going on with him, with her and uh, Dr. Octopus. We see, we catch a little bit of Gene DeWolf. Um, Adam, are you familiar with Gene DeWolf? Yes, I am. Yeah, so, I mean, unfortunately, when I started reading Spider-Man, she was already deceased. So, it's kind of cool to see her as, like, a regular recurring, you know, supporting character this time. Mm. So, mm-hmm. And then I love this, too. Then we, you know, we drop in. Again, this is something... I, I don't know if Stanley invented this, but like just dropping in on uh, in comic books, like just dropping in on Madame Web. We haven't seen her in you know a few issues, but she is in this hospital, so you know we touch base with her. Even though she was uh, created by the previous writer, you know Roger Stone, Roger Stern still brings her back and you know kind of gets some more um, you know some more story ideas out of her. I'm sure she'll be back. We'll see. Um, and then. Um, and then we, you know, we cut over to some supporting cast with Lance Bannon uh, doing a photo shoot with who is this girl here? I don't even remember who it was. I don't. I can't remember her name. Yeah, uh, but it's kind of funny because um, she's clearly hitting on him, but you know he's uh, too focused on work. So I gotta wonder if at this point maybe they're setting up. Hmm, maybe Lance Bannon, Bannon is the Hobgoblin, right? Because hmm. I think there was a lot of red herrings as we went through the the mystery. So basically, Spidey, we get some classic Spidey. You know, his costume smells because he's been in it too long, so he's got to take a shower. Then the, this is the same girl from earlier, right? So now she's calling... Right? This is the same girl, right? Yes. The one, the, the one that's... Yeah, so now she's um, asking Peter to meet her for dinner, but he slept through the day. So he's like, okay, no, that's it. I got to go investigate, investigate what's going on. So then he ends up uh, swinging through the city and coming across this light that's on at one of uh, Norman Osborn's old headquarters and he breaks through and of course he encounters the Hobgoblin. Now, what ends up happening is, is to, in my opinion, it's, a, it's good and it's bad because what ends up happening is, is Spider-Man fairly easily beats the Hobgoblin, but he, there are a few unexpected surprises like, um, you know, Hobgoblin's bats, his little flying, floating bats that he throws at him, and like a few other things. But for the most part, the point of this is to show that Hobgoblin is overwhelmed by how powerful Spider-Man is. He wasn't ready for this, and what he says at the end of the story in his thoughts is that he didn't realize how strong Spider-Man was, so he assumes, well, Green Goblin must have had some other secret, so there must be more to this than I realized, so I've got to find out what his secret was. And I don't, again, it's been years since I've read this, so I don't remember if he does end up augmenting his strength. I right. guess we'll have to kind of wait and see. But So yeah, again, I think it's a good story, but I would have liked, you know, the classic way to do one of these stories, you know, it was defined in the ancient story called Rocky Three, where, you know, first <laughs> the guy loses, right? Then he comes back at... You know, he trains and he comes back and then he wins and he beats the bad guy, right? So I would have preferred that. But overall, I still thought it was another classic issue of Spider-Man. And because uh, oh, you're our guest this week, um, uh, Adam, I'd like to have you your uh, thoughts first. What did you think of this issue? Um, overall, I thought it was pretty good. Now, I have to say, some of the artwork in here had great ideas and some of the execution was fantastic. Uh, even when you open it up, uh, page two has that great layout of the Jersey interstate over the panels. Just fantastic. Very creative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but, there are some times where I feel the artwork is a little bit disservicing to the characters, however. I'm thinking mainly where uh, Peter is washing his outfit. Okay. There's there's a few goofy faces going on on Peter there. I, I don't quite know what to make of those <laughs> ones. 
and, and a lot of nudity. I was a little surprised about that. Yeah, well, I mean, not full frontal, but yeah, I get your point, though. There's definitely sexual situations that you wouldn't really expect in a Spidey comic. Yeah, especially in, like, the, there there seemed to be a lot more in this one than than normal. <laughs> than usual, yeah. yeah. The, other, the other thing, too, I've always said about John Romita Jr. is that he, uh, it's funny, he, considering his father's art is, in my opinion, some of the most beautiful superhero art I've ever seen, his son, John Romita Jr., does not care if his characters look ugly. That's the nicest way to say it. He just doesn't care, you know? It's like, his art is, the anatomy's great, the, the design is great. The storytelling's flawless, but he doesn't care. It's like he, he makes, sometimes he makes the muscles look ugly. Sometimes he makes the faces look ugly. Like um, <laughs> this, this girl that Lance Bennon is taking photographs of on the bottom of um, digital page nine, original page eight. I mean, that's that classic John Romita Jr. kind of bony cheek face that mm-hmm. he uses a lot. And it's just, I don't know. There's kind of just this rule, I guess, which, um, with Stan Lee and John Buscema, um, they kind of introduced in How to Draw Comics the Marvel Way. They said that every line you add to a woman's face adds a year to her her life or to her appearance. And so when you've got like six lines on her cheekbones, it kind of just makes her look a little bit too skull-like for me. But I don't know. Overall, I mean, I still like the art, but I can see where you're coming from, Adam. Like, what about the story? What do you think of the story? Uh, the story itself, I thought, was really intriguing. You know... I know what the outcome of the storyline was, but going back to this issue and actually thinking about what it would have been like reading this for the first time, like you said, Mike, there was a lot of red herrings presented for who the Hobgoblin actually could be. And I think Bannon is like a really great character to have in here as a foil for Peter Parker. Uh, In terms of the battle that he had with Hobgoblin, I actually really appreciated the fact that Hobgoblin just did not clear the deck with him uh, because I've seen that happen so many times, just not in Spider-Man comics, but so many Marvel comics, having a, a disadvantaged supervillain actually realize that he has to regroup, I think it's great because it does show Spider-Man is formidable. He isn't just being knocked down by every single new villain that crops up. Right. But at the same time, there's foreshadowing. There's something else that the Goblin must have had. And like you said, I'm not sure if he augments his strength with a Goblin formula or what happens. The exact details are a bit fuzzy for me. But it's good. It gives a lot of storytelling. Uh, pardon me. It gives a lot of storytelling potential. No, I, right. I, I completely agree. I agree. Um, and, and going off of what uh, Mike was saying earlier with the Rocky analogy, I think that like at this point, we we kind of know everything about Peter Parker, and we we know all of Spider Man, and there's there's not a lot of like character development happening with him. So I'm more interested in seeing the character development for the super villains. Right. So I feel like the, the hobgoblin is our Rocky in this, in this uh, instance where he's the one that fails the first time. And we want to see him get stronger and come back and fight Spider-Man and have this even match. So, so having this, having this story, like, like hobgoblin does kind of get, uh, 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 beaten real quick. I'm okay with that because we see him at the end kind of realize that he needs to do something else to kind of be on the same level as Spider-Man. So we're definitely eager to see what's going to happen next. So I think that's, uh, I think it was a really good setup for things to come. Right. And I don't know, I guess, again, it's kind of hard for me to be, um, objective, but 
I thought this was a like a really good issue. I mean, um, like Josh, do you think it would stood out as a as an above average issue of Amazing? Um, I don't. Th- I wouldn't say above average. I think it. I think it was pretty on par with what we've seen for Amazing so far. Um, again, I think with Amazing, they've really done well with uh, giving us more intriguing supervillains and not just kind of like a dude that Spider-Man's gonna punch for you know twenty pages. So, uh, right. I, I think it's, it's definitely above the, um, the regular issues of a lot of the comics we've been reading, but I don't think it's the best of amazing we've seen so far. I'll agree with that. Yeah. And I definitely, I gotta say, compared to the other two Spider-Man comics this week, it, this shows how it should be done. I think for this sure. is a class, in my opinion, a good issue. Um, Adam, overall, what'd you think of this issue? you think it was better than you expected or worse or... Uh, no, it was pretty much what I was expecting. Like from this era of Spider-Man comics, I've read some issues. I kind of knew what the tone was going into it. I thought it was serviceable. I thought it was even decent. Um, I agree though. I don't think it was exceptional. And I think even though the battle with Hobgoblin made this issue worth checking out since this was his first conflict with the Hobgoblin, Uh, Beyond that, in terms of the storytelling and the narrative, I just feel like there needed to be a little bit more. Okay, good point. Fair point. Well, we'll have to, hopefully we'll have you on again and we'll revisit another chapter in the Hobgoblin saga, right? Mm -hmm. Awesome. Okay, so now we are going to jump to Marvel Team Up. Josh, you can take it from here. All right. Um, This is my, (laughs) this is, everybody knows this is my favorite part of the... uh, (laughs) The podcast where I get to talk about the Marvel team up story. Um, so we uh, we start this issue with uh, Peter Parker running into Steve Rogers at this uh, like fair, like this carnival that's happening, um, and then uh, this villain known as the Vermin shows up, and he kind of has these giant rats, these rodents of unusual size, if you will, uh, show up and yep. start uh, kind of wrecking havoc, and Spider Man and Cap both don their costumes and uh start fighting him and then we have these kind of weird subplots where both steve rogers and peter parker have their like relationships tested and and like they both have moments of weaknesses where they're about to cheat on their significant others and then they both at the same time kind of realize that that they can't do that and then they join up again to fight uh uh vermin one last time and defeat him and that's pretty much what happens uh in the issue yeah it's very weird because like it peter has this really weird moment with um oh what's her name uh maya yeah maya or mia and uh it's really weird because the the other two issues were dealing with Black Cat being in a coma. Yeah, and like, right? It, it's so weird. Th- this must this must take place chronologically after uh, the events of Spectacular, I-, I would assume, because she's like back in danger. Because in the last issue of Spectacular, I believe she wakes up from a coma and she's fine. But then, I mean. I guess spoilers for, for what we're going to be talking about next uh, in, in Spectacular, but we see that she kind of slips back into it. When Yeah, I mean, she's still hospitalized. Mm-hmm. And, and no matter what, she... Like he says in, in one of the issues this month that he loves her, doesn't he? Black yeah. Hat, I think. I, I think so. I mean, even in this uh, one, he, he's talking about like, whoa, how... Like, I can't do this. 
uh, black cats in 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 intensive care i can't be doing right like, it's just i don't know it's weird i feel like it comes out of nowhere and there's no like reason for either of them to show this like moment of weakness i guess well let's before uh, we reveal our thoughts about the ongoing um writing of jm Demetrius <laughs> adam um, uh, let's actually talk about the cover really quickly here. You'll notice this is our, I think this is our first photo cover, right? I think so. Yeah. Or yeah. For Spider-Man. Definitely. I personally do not like photo covers at all. Personally, no. Like, um, um, Adam, what'd you think of this photo cover? Uh, I thought it was the most God awful thing I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> right. It just, the, the, the Captain America mask is baggy. There's like. <laughs> chin folds where it's supposed to be sticking to the neck it's like someone threw a plastic bag over steve rogers head spider-man i don't know what's with his costume maybe it's because of the scan but his costume looks like it's glowing and the webbing looks like it's inked on i was gonna say it looks like it's the inking is drawn on the webbing is drawn on yeah it and it's just no it's horrible (laughs) it is and you know at least if they would have maybe filmed it at night and did some cool mood lighting to kind of hide the fact that there's these cheap costumes like i don't know maybe in 1983 this looked cool but considering cosplayers look better than this now yeah like it looks ridiculous you know but um yeah josh and i have had a lot to say about the quality of marvel team up uh but adam i want to know your thoughts on this issue especially compared to the amazing that we just read um I feel like there's a lot of animosity from you guys for this series. Um, I, I I don't know. I'm going to have to be a dissenter. I actually didn't mind it that much. You know, the whole thing, I did agree. It seemed out of character for Peter Parker to have this sort of, oh, how should I say this, conflict of interest. Is he going to be with Mia or not? But it was nice to actually see his kind of conflict paralleled with Steve Rogers. I actually thought... That was an interesting choice for character development. Maybe it wasn't quite in line with their characters, but it was interesting. And I, this is this is a dark secret. I actually love Vermin. I, I think, oh, really? I, okay. I think <laughs> Vermin's an underrated villain when he's used properly. The problem here, he was not used properly. He's more like a, a Captain America villain, or not a Captain America villain. He's more like a Captain Planet villain. Okay, okay. All right. <laughs> He's busting into the fair. Uh, look at my rats and my lions, I guess he yeah, has. I'm not sure what Attack they are. the fair because we want food. Uh, I don't know. When it, came to, when it comes to good depictions of this character, he's shown as having psychological damage. The reason he's vermin is because he's been conditioned to believe he is scum, that he comes from a lower income uh, household. And so it kind of is like a psychological manifestation. He becomes the thing he's told. There's mm-hmm. substance to that. Right. Here, he's just like, he's a weird werewolf yeah. dude. There's not much to him in this. Right, right, right. So where do Although you- with that said, I always love seeing Vermin. Even when it's poorer, I just, I love seeing the guy represented. Now, where have you come across Vermin in other stories? Like, uh, Probably, you're going to see him in a lot of 90s material from Spider-Man. Uh, around Maximum Carnage, you're going to see him around there a little bit. Um, and a few storylines in the late 80s as well. Uh, exact titles or storylines are escaping my mind, but they did some good stuff when his character reformed and became human again. And uh, a lot of conflict he was having, struggling with that inner beast within. Uh, 
that stuff is good. Here, the thing that really gets me in the end, and maybe I'm jumping ahead, but at that ending where he's just looking up at Spider-Man and Captain America, he's saying, I'm gonna eat you, I'm gonna kill you. You just gotta look down and walk away. I, I don't know, they're just trusting this to the police. I mean, this is a guy with razor sharp talons. Yeah. Here, here you go, take him. Well, I think the ironic thing is that I, I first came across Vermin in Craven's Last Hunt, and then he also came back in a sort of sequel to Craven's Last Hunt in Spectacular Spider-Man, but both of those were written by J.M. Demetrius. In fact, I oh. think he might have even created them in Captain America, so I don't know if he wrote the stories that you'd read before, but um, at this point, he certainly wasn't as good a writer as he was later, and Josh and I don't as far as I know, we don't hate Marvel Team Up. It's just that the quality is very hit and miss, mm-hmm. I think. Some issues are, are pretty good. Mm-hmm. And then some, I think at best for me, it's I like the vibe. I like the art. I like the, the levity and all that. But it just a lot of times feels like he's just throwing a lot of things, throwing a lot of ideas together or throwing ideas at a wall and seeing what sticks. Right. And yeah. And, and again, like with, Mar- with uh, Amazing this week, we saw a plot that was very clearly laid out and was, you know, it was really cool to follow. But this, again, with the parallels between Steve Rogers and Peter Parker, it might be cool, but in my opinion, it might be trying a little bit too hard to force kind of like a theme on this when it doesn't seem to fit either character. The idea that they would cheat on their girlfriends, you know? Right. I think that this was definitely a, an above average issue of Marvel Team Up uh, because for the most part, we kind of see... Uh, Spider-Man just picked up and plopped into somebody else's story and he doesn't belong. And I think that's where my problem is with Marvel Team-Up a lot of the time is is it just Spider-Man doesn't belong in the story and he's just there to right. for, for everybody else to read the other person's story. Which is fine, but th- there has to be some sort of reason he's there, right? Like, make him a part of the story if this is going to be a Marvel Team-Up. Not, you know... Spider-Man just kind of there along for the ride. Um, so I, I, I did at least uh, uh, like that there was kind of a reason for uh, uh, Spider-Man and Cap to team up in this one. We have uh, we have Peter and Steve Rogers already having a pre-existing relationship. So when they get together, it makes sense that these two heroes are together because they have just happened to bump into each other and, and you know, their alter egos uh, are familiar with each other. So then when they both sense danger, they change into their uh, hero form and, and and run out and have that team up. So that's fine. Um, that that's definitely better. Uh, uh, it's it's definitely better. It's it's bet. It's definitely more well done in this uh, uh, issue than than <laughs> it's definitely most. Definitely more better. Yeah. Definitely more better. Uh, <laughs> no, it, it's uh, it's. Um, so I, I did enjoy that. Um, more than more than most of the other Marvel team ups we've read, but uh, yeah, I, I think that the Vermin story uh, it it felt weird. I think maybe with the the subplot that they were trying to do with that kind of like cheating storyline, I, like I don't know what did you guys get like why like was there a reason maybe that there was like the cheating thing with vermin like maybe there was just something i wasn't picking up on or not that i saw no. adam did you 
No, and I know where you're coming from. Sometimes you're going to have a villain that kind of parallels something the hero's going through. It accentuates some personal tension that the character is experiencing. Here, it seems superfluous. It could have been any character, could have been any villain. It wouldn't have really mattered. Okay. Right. I and yeah, that's exactly. I think his the J.M. Dematisse's biggest weakness at this point is. He, he knows how to do the individual components of like writing a, a good story, but he doesn't know how to make it all work together, how to make it gel. Yeah. But I do have to point out a really good scene, my favorite scene in the book, and that's when they burst out of the bathroom stall. <laughs> and they're that's both great. in yes. costume. And Captain America's like, I seem, to, I seem to be running into you in the strangest places lately. Rooftops, men's rooms. I'm like, what the? <laughs> I just thought that was funny. Yeah, that's great. Anyway, one of those out of context things, you know, if, if you don't know. Right. But anyway. And that, that, that was a... But also, the guy comes out of the right. stall and he says, yeah. only in New York. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. Yeah. And, and right. I think that was also probably a callback to the previous issue uh, with the Marvel team up when Cap uh, runs into Spider-Man on the rooftop at, on Christmas. Right, right, right. I forgot. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, we did get a brief uh, cameo by uh, Cap in, in previous Marvel team up. So, uh, so the other thing, I, oh, I want to point out is that the last, the, the amazing that we read was obviously a digital um, edition, recolored and everything. This issue is scanned directly from the original pages. It's still got the four colors, you know, the dots and all that stuff. Um, so. Adam, do you have a preference? Do you like reading comics that have clearly been recolored, or do you like looking at the original color scheme? Well, I don't really have a preference either way. Okay, okay, okay. Now, what did you think of this artist, Kerry Gamble? Are you familiar with his art? Uh, Somewhat. I haven't had a lot of experience dealing with their art. Uh, I thought it was serviceable. Nothing too creative. I mean, there was a lot of grid panels throughout mm. the entire book, so there wasn't a lot of creative use of uh, layout design. But, you know, I thought the character proportions were okay, the action flowed. Like I said, it was serviceable. Right. Yeah, I think I'll agree with that. Yeah. He's never been one of my favorites, but he's definitely professional and serviceable. You agree, right, uh, Josh? Oh, yeah, for sure. I think that uh, there there's definitely some times, too, where... Uh, the background is a little bit more detailed and uh, uh, there's more thought put into it, uh, which is which is nice. I, I, I don't I definitely don't mind that. And it seems to be when things kind of go into chaos that I feel like the, the background kind of gets a little bit more uh, detailed, which is kind of I think kind of adds to like the the commotion and like the like danger that's going on and then when things start to get slow like with uh cap and uh the woman that he's talking to uh we do have a little bit of uh more detail when they're in the apartment and we kind of establish where they are and then when things start getting close and it's more close-ups we have those blank backgrounds which i love i i really love seeing uh, the blank backgrounds when it's like important moments, like those slow moments, because you can re- you're really focusing on the one thing in the panel. And I think that when when sure. an artist can do that properly and really um, uh, make a reader kind of just look at the important things and nothing else matters, I, I love that. So there's I, I really wanted to uh, to point that out that I, I, I like the, that small moment. Well, yeah, it's also nice that in the middle of a scene. There'll be two panels in a row with backgrounds, and like when he's uh, when Captain America is fighting um, the vermin's uh, what are these giant rats? Right. Yeah. Uh, 
Oh, what are these? Are these giant rats? I don't even know what they I'm are. I'm not sure. I thought they were panthers. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, they're not rats, but but it's like it's like background, background, and then there's no background. But you don't question it, you know. It's like you said, and it's also cool. I mean, this is a classic comic book technique, but there's actually no panel border around the panel with no background, mm -hmm. but it emphasizes the characters because you don't even need, you don't even need a background on that panel. I'm thinking. Yeah. So yeah, that's kind of cool. That's another example of it right there. And then the moments between Captain America and um, who's the second girl? I don't remember her name. Yeah, I can't. But when remember. they're about to kiss. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's no backgrounds there because, again, it would just be distracting, I think. Yeah. So it's kind of cool. So overall, I mean, usually we give a recommendation, Adam. So would you recommend this comic to people? Would you think you'd read it again? No. I, <laughs> like I said, I don't think it was that bad, but mm. there's so many good comics out there. You don't need – there's so many better stories with Spider-Man, Captain America, or Vermin. Choose any of those. Right. But I wouldn't recommend it. Would you, would you recommend The Amazing Issue? Um, overall, I would. Yeah, me too. All right, so now we're going to jump to Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man, number 77. And Adam, you uh, you said you want to summarize this one, right? Okay, well, Sweet. hopefully I'll perform a good service here. Okay, uh, go ahead. <laughs> so we start out opening up the issue. It looks like Spider-Man's about to get his... Uh, his neck cut open by these giant blades, but it turns out it's a museum. It's a, some sort of display museum that's run by Melvin, who was a villain named Gladiator. And uh, it, it's interesting because this comic has Gladiator, but there's another Gladiator, right? Are you asking? Yeah, well, there is a famous gladiator in Marvel Comics, isn't there? Well, this gladiator is the one that was in the Daredevil TV show. Mm -hmm. So the, the Okay, so this is the one. I was a little confused about that. Okay. Yeah, although he doesn't look anything like I thought, but I would have to research it, which I didn't do. Okay, well, this is the Guardian, then this is also... Or not the Guardian, this is the gladiator, uh, also known as Melvin Potter. He's set aside his criminal career and... Suddenly, he hears gunshots outside of his shop. There's three thugs running away from police, running away, jumping over a fence, escaping, and making their way into Melvin's store, which is a costume store. Now, br breaking in, the police, of course, pursue. They don't quite catch the thieves, but there's Melvin right behind them, trying to figure out what's going on. He's going to phone the police, but then they shoot him or at least shoot past him, threatening him. Oh, actually, I'm sorry, I remember. They did shoot him. They shot him in right the in the arm. Right. Which he just brushes off, apparently. He takes <laughs> it like it's a scratch. Um, then we cut to Spider-Man being by the bedside of Black Cat, so pretty familiar from Amazing Spider-Man. Um, the layout of Black Cat's hospital equipment completely different from amazing though so well we'll touch on that a little <laughs> bit later and then we have some radical dream sequences as peter is snoozing next to black cat thinking about his battle with doc ock uh there's the psychedelic pink dream that he's having it almost looks like doc ock is like krang from the teenage mutant yeah. ninja turtles in one <laughs> sequence and as Spider-Man is sleeping, going, I'll fight you, I fight, I'll fight you. In comes Doc Ock through the hospital window to engage in battle with Spider-Man. 
So, of course, the usual Spidey Doc Ock fight happens, as we've seen time and time again. Uh, but then Doc Ock goes for the kill. A threatening blow right to the face knocks Peter down, and he doesn't kill him. Instead, he stops the life support system that is giving Black Cat her very sustenance, her life. I guess she was on life support. I didn't know that was a thing in the previous issue that wasn't explained, but this is the case. And so he says, we will meet again. We'll meet you in, wait, I think it's the next day or the next night. And he walks away. So there's that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that was completely pointless. We get another uh, cameo by DeWolf. So again, much like Amazing Spider-Man, swings out. You know, I, I would question this, but I'll get into that a little bit later. Anyway, as he's swinging out, of course, he sees the police who have congregated around Melvin's costume store because they've tracked down the thieves into there. And the thieves, I guess, have coerced Melvin to put back on the gladiator armor and he is going to fight their way through the cops to freedom, or so they're hoping. Well, anyway, the usual thing happens. Spider-Man comes through, he oversees the conflict, he tossles up all the bad guys, webs them up, and then Gladiator, I guess, has some really great hallucination. He must have been smoking some stuff <laughs> in, in another panel because then he sees Spider with a trident and this net like he's a Gladiator himself and engages Spidey in battle. Uh, of course, after a brief uh, scrimmage that lasts, I think about three pages, uh, Spidey <laughs> stops Gladiator in uh, a fit of anger from about to from his uh, desire to kill these thieves who manipulated him. And in the end, Gladiator puts down his helmet and says he's giving up this costume life that he just wants these thieves to be arrested by the police. In the end, I don't think there's anything else to say that basically sums up the entire yeah. issue. Yeah, yeah. Um, Bill Mantlo has, has done some really good stuff in Spectacular. But this, unfortunately, is another in a, in a streak of sort of just filler, I think. What do you think, Josh? Uh, yeah, I, I don't mind filler. I, I really don't. If you're going to tell a story in one issue that doesn't like affect the overall arc of uh, like a multi-issue story, I'm fine with that. But it has to be focused on those characters and, and the you know what's happening in this issue and i felt like right. this was trying to do a little bit of both um i really uh -huh. actually kind of like the stuff with gladiator I, I i wanted to see a little bit more of that i wanted to see maybe uh, a little bit more interaction between spider-man and gladiator maybe uh kind of talking it out but you know like tr trying to calm Gla gladiator down but we really don't really see any of that we we've, i think we focus way too much time on the doc ock stuff um he, uh -huh. even though i i the 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 dream sequence was really nicely done with like uh spider-man having a dream while doc ock is actually creeping up to the hospital <laughs> we're kind of like cutting back and forth between real life and the dream i thought that was really well done but i think story-wise it just doesn't add anything to the story uh, to, to what's going on uh, with Gladiator right. and and the rest of things, Spider Man just happens to swing by while all this is while all the all of this is going on. So there's 
really spider-man doesn't really do much to to change anything like they were getting arrested and gladiator wasn't attacking the police and then spider-man showed up right i don't think Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like like gladiator was going to stop because uh, he yeah. was talking beforehand he, that he like he's not going to do this. He already gave up the that supervillain life to the thugs. So when he walked out, I I assumed the gladiator was already going to hand them over to the police. And that's that was the insinuation, right? And then Spider Man yes. shows up, and that's what makes him kind of revert back into like the gladiator, uh, like evil persona, and then he snaps out of it afterwards. So uh, yeah, I don't know it. There, there's a lot of great elements I feel in this, but it, in the end, I don't think that they they fleshed well together. Yeah, I'll agree with that, and it, it sort of makes me wonder uh, why were the Ed Hannigan issues so good? I, I I mean, he wasn't credited as a co-plotter, but either he was co-plotting or he was suggesting, or his art was just so good that he made any story work. But I just feel like one of the biggest problems is. The art, again, by Al Milgram just feels like a big mess. Like, I mean, it is helped a little bit by Jim Mooney's inks, but I'm not a fan of this art. Um, Adam, what do you think of this art? Oh, no, I, I thought it was a disservice to the issue. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, absolutely. Even that, uh, I think it's a real page three. Okay. Uh, I'm losing track here. No, real page four. Uh, thugs are running away from the police. Yeah. Their was, bodies yeah. are just so out of proportion. Yeah. I know, and there's, I know. There's no sense of distance. I, I just I can't really make out where these characters are standing. Mm-hmm. And I, I do understand what you're saying about the inking. I think it helps create atmosphere, like the scene where they're hiding from the police within the costume store. Mm-hmm. You get a sense of depth uh, when you have Melvin walking up those lines from the blinds. Right. Uh, just going across his face. That's good. But I also feel like the inking was a little bit too heavy in some sequences where it contrasted with, let's say, the fight scene with Doc Ock, where there's just nothing but bare backgrounds, where it just was so unfinished looking. Right, that's a good point, yeah. I mean, I guess I'm only saying that because I know Jim Mooney, I know he's good, so I'm assuming he helped it, but maybe he made it worse, I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm looking through this issue and there's really no panel that stands out. Um, and I mean, you could say that maybe the storytelling is good, but I mean, when the figures, it's funny cause I grew up with Al Milgram and I always just thought he was just okay. But the more I look at his art, yeah, he just really had no clue what he was doing. No offense to the guy. I'm sure he's in actually I think I've met him. He's a nice guy, but at this point in his career, he just had no grasp of anatomy, perspective, design, like in some, on his best day, he's a poor man's Frank Miller. But in, in this issue, I think it was pretty bad. Josh, what did you think? Yeah, there's times, I think, where the, the art is fine. And then others where it, it, everything just looks so, just like slightly off. Like it's, right. I, I, I think that like um, what we were talking about earlier with the, uh, the goons running away from the police, that's really where it stands out and stuff like that, where it's just like, yeah, the, those are people running away, but like how <laughs> why are they you know like why are they like why do they look like this um i think i think some of the stuff of the stuff looks pretty good and interesting but uh, for the most part i don't think it works again I'll, I'll jump back to the and maybe it's the just like the coloring and the inking that that does it for me with the the dream sequence but i really like 
uh, again, how everything was laid out with the parallels between what's happening in the real and the dream. Um, I like some of the close-ups of Spider-Man, and we have like the the uh, dots in the background. Like there, there are some things that that work, and then other things just really don't. Right, right. Uh, and again, when I was a kid, I could forgive this stuff, but it makes it a struggle. And so, uh, you know, because I know Bill Mantlo's other issues are good. I mean, I if I were to reread this series, I'd probably reread this issue. But I don't know if I could. I definitely couldn't recommend it on its own. Um, Adam, what do you think? I just am torn because it feels like this was two issues crammed into mm-hmm. one. Was mm-hmm. this going to be the bottle, the battle with Doc Ock, or was this going to be the Gladiator story? And uh, I, I'm with you. I think the Gladiator story is actually pretty good. It's compelling. I think we see a lot of stories where Peter wonders what he can do to actually re- rehabilitate a lot of these villains he fights, and here's one who's actually wanting to rehabilitate. I think there's great storytelling potential there. But with the Dr. Octopus fight, not only is it the same thing we saw before, but it ends on a false note and something really out of character for Dr. Octopus. Mm -hmm. If he's out cold on the floor, why wouldn't he just kill him? Oh, because I want to make you suffer. No, no, never has Dr. Octopus been that stupid, except I guess he has been because here he's doing this in this issue. Yeah, yeah. Right, and, well, and if that were the case, why didn't he just kill Black Cat then? Like, yeah, he took the life support away, mm-hmm. but like he unplugged her from the wall and then walked away. You know what I mean? It's like, like, dude, you have metal yeah. arms. You can just put it through her face. It, <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah. I, I don't understand why writers think... I mean, all you have to do when you're writing a scene that bad is just go delete and then rewrite it, you know? <laughs> just make the villain try to kill the hero or try to kill Black Cat and have Spider-Man stop him. It's, you know, it's just as simple as that because it's, it's, like, it's like you said, even, I, I don't want to mention a, a certain TV show, but even the very, 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 very best of TV shows have crossed that line where a bad guy has the opportunity to kill the hero and they're like at the last moment, no, I'm not going to kill you. I'm just going to do this other thing. You right. Know, it's just, oh, or why or like every... give a reason why they can't. Like we 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 saw him in the last issue. He's on the ground writhing in pain. His arms are severed. Yeah. Like maybe he doesn't have all of his arms back or maybe he needed to go to the hospital to get like supplies to heal himself. And while he was there, he decided to try to rip off the, you know, Black Cat's like medical like you know like her iv or whatever it is um and and then run away so that they give him an excuse to run away and not stay and just kill them both right like it's it's that easy Mm -hmm. to just come up with something we saw him in the last issue in pain like rolling on the ground Mm -hmm. screaming he's fine in this issue right like spidey even says whoa you you got all your arms back that was quick like come on <laughs> you know just th- there's there's so many other ways you can do that without having like this weird like out of character moment exactly exactly agree yeah. so yeah uh, like i said i i don't recommend this um did i ask you it adam do you recommend this one no you said oh no. yeah i didn't actually answer <laughs> okay. uh, you know what I, i'm gonna say a soft no only soft because i actually did like the gladiator element okay i wish it would have been developed more it would have been a nice one and done but uh yeah and 
but it's a soft no. I will say though, when I hear Gladiator in Marvel Comics, I was actually thinking about the uh, interstellar alien right. gladiator. Yes, I Googled that. I forgot about that guardian with the mohawk. Mm-hmm. I forgot yes. about him. Josh, you know him, yes. right? Yeah. Yeah, I completely forgot about him. Sometimes those generic names, like Guardian and Sentinel, like they get used so often that I forget that there's other, you know, right. versions of the same name. Yeah. But um but anyway, before we wrap up, Adam, I just want to ask for anyone that doesn't get Spidey, how could you explain? I mean, you talked a little about this at the beginning, but I mean, I this was the first comic I was obsessed with. Like when I got into Spider-Man in the late 80s, this is the first character where I was like, I have to own every single comic Spider-Man's ever appeared in. Like, can you explain Spider-Man's appeal? Uh, I think it's a couple things. First off, the costume is great. Yes. And the costume is just allowing the person to be anonymous. Like, it could mm-hmm. be anyone under the mask. I know it's been said before, but mm-hmm. I think that's an appeal of it. For the Peter Parker thing... When he's not being insufferable, Peter Parker is very relatable. Mm -hmm. It's just unfortunately, a lot of writers, and I mean a lot, have made him insufferable and have really gave him contradictory characteristics. Um, I think right now, and I should say over the past few years, they've been doing some service to Peter in contemporary issues of Amazing and... There are some great runs, and I think it's when Peter is an empathetic and relatable character, that what that's what really makes it solid. It's a great appearance and a character that you can relate to. He's fallible, he's human, he makes mistakes. That's right. Um, do you have a, a favorite writer or a favorite story that you can recommend? Oh, that's a, that's a very tough one. Uh, you know, I think... A great introduction, though, is the Gauntlet. The Gauntlet. I don't think I've read the Gauntlet. Who did? It's. Uh, it was a pretty contemporary run. It was uh, after One More Day. So a right. lot of people they were putting down the books and they were saying, "No, we don't want to read this." What it did it was it basically reestablished Peter fighting classic villains, but updating it for. Uh, modern times and it did it in a way where it wasn't just for the sake of being gritty it actually made compelling and very um, suspenseful stories with Spider-Man fighting traditional villains Mm. but also really exploring the themes of each character uh, especially themes like uh, the dehumanizing of someone like the lizard it was great and all that sort of preteen romance crap that people had tried to put spider-man through for years it was set aside and focused more on the conflict he was having fighting these villains that he oddly saw similarity in himself to so i think that's a great introduction interesting and i'm looking it up because i've never read it but it's written by oh you sorry josh you've read it i i have read a couple of issues and specifically the lizard uh the lizard storylines i remember I think, I guess, spoiler alert for that. I don't know if you're going to read it, Mike. But I, I remember uh, there there was a lot of struggle with uh, the Lizard and Kurt Connors and Spider-Man really having to mm-hmm. deal with fighting the Lizard and having Kurt Connors as one of his like close friends. And I think that at one point he ends up defeating the Lizard and he might die or maybe there's like a death scare or something. And for a while, he's really dealing with that. The fact that like he couldn't save his friend, but he also couldn't let the lizard keep 
uh, kind of like wrecking havoc and, and going about. But I, yeah, I, I, I do, I do kind of remember that, uh, remember the, the, the gauntlet storylines. Well, yeah, I just looked it up quickly and it's, the writers include Mark Wade, Fred Van Lent, Joe Kelly, Dan Slott, Mark Guggenheim, Zeb Wells, and our pal Roger Stern from Amazing <laughs> Spider-Man. So maybe I will check it out. That's kind of cool. All right. So yeah, Josh, you can take it from here. Yeah. Uh, we want to know what you guys think about the uh, the issues that we're reading and the podcast itself. So uh, we want to uh, we we ask that you guys leave us a review or uh, leave us a comment on our Facebook page at the Comic Book Syndicate. Uh, you can find us pretty much where wherever you can find podcasts. That's Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, um, YouTube, uh, and you can also find us over on Twitter at H T C. No, no HCT Spidercast. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and Woo. we want to keep that conversation going. So uh, contact us there. That's right. And we definitely want to thank Adam Pelche for joining us this week. We'll absolutely have you back if you're interested, Adam. Oh, I will be for sure. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, for sure. So uh, every week we review usually three to four issues of Spider Man in chronological order, if we can, from the 1980s. So please join us again next week. Until next Monday, this has been Here Comes the Spider-Cast. All right, see you then. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.